Well, we are in the last week of our three-part series on the end times. This series is not trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return, but the series is focused on the fact that we are to be prepared and watchful. In chapter 25 of Matthew's gospel, there are three parables that deal with being ready and watchful. The first was the parable of the ten virgins. Five are ready for the return of the bridegroom and five are not. And those five did not bring extra oil. Jesus ends with the warning from that parable, Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Last week we examined the second parable, sometimes called the parable of the talents. And we discovered that we are to use those talents that are given to us by God so that the world around us will be blessed and experience transformation and give glory to God. Today we'll be examining the prophetic words of Jesus in his final uh, judgment found with the parable of the sheep and the goats. And when you get to the heart of these parables, I believe... really comes down to that readiness. You know, life is less stressful when you're ready. Don't you agree? When you step back and you're about to approach that task, there's a calmness because you are well prepared. Thank goodness I was ready this morning. I got in my car at 7 a.m. and I hit the start button and the battery was dead. And then when I arrived here at church, after I took my wife's car, I found that her car fob battery was dead, so I couldn't lock it. So you can run over there right now and rummage through it and gather what you want. But she's here. She made it (laughs) through the help of uh, Papa, my father-in-law. Think about readiness. And I I was sitting here listening and how Anita prepared and Dr. Stover prepared and Abby and Julie prepared. And in that preparedness, didn't that bless you? Their readiness. Readiness keeps Murphy's Law from being so destructive, doesn't it? Recently, I I was listening to a a book on, uh, not on tape, on Audible, And one of the chapters was on the psychology of procrastination. Why do we procrastinate? There are numerous reasons. First, this author pointed out, and he was a a Navy SEAL, he pointed out that first we want to hide from something unpleasant. We want to stay in the realm of the, the fun. Secondly, We like to live in the now, and we don't value future self. Next, maybe the goal doesn't have a deadline. And lastly, he says, procrastination worked before, so you think that it'll work again. Today is Christ the King Sunday, and our Lord King Jesus does not want us to procrastinate on the things of God. He wants us to be ready Because this last parable is about his coming. And he will judge. And here's what he'll say. Matthew 25, verses 34 through 46. Let's look at this together. 
And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. You see, these saints are su surprised. And he continues, they will ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did, you, when did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And here is how the king of all creation will answer. I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of one of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You see, first, the sheep and the goats, they are surprised. They ask, when did we? When did we not? They're clueless in this judgment. <laughs> Don't you love surprises? Life is full of surprises. And some of these surprises are very unnerving. But some of these surprises can be wonderful. In this passage of Scripture, the surprise must have caused rejoicing for the sheep on the right and regret for the goats on the left. What a powerful, powerful piece of Scripture. The saints were feeding Jesus. They didn't even know it. The saints were clothing Jesus. They didn't even know it. The saints thought they were visiting some sick, indigent person of no importance, but they were in fact visiting Jesus, and they didn't know it. Whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Surprise. And then the opposite statements for the goats. You see, Jesus is good. He wants us to be ready, prepared for this judgment. Jesus tells us there will come a time when every person throughout history will be placed in one of these two groups and separation will occur. In Matthew 25, 31 through 33, the first part of this parable, when we look up above the words, the scripture that was just read, Jesus says the Son of Man will come in the glory with all his angels, sit on his heavenly throne, all the nations will be gathered before him. And he'll separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He puts the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And you see, folks, there are no other option. Separation must take place. And it's not a trial, but a sentencing. Because the judge already has all the evidence. The evidence exists. And by the time you stand before him, he will already have decided our case. The judgment will have evidence. It makes one ponder if a perfect just judge was going to make a judgment based on the facts that you are a Christian, will there be enough evidence to claim you in a positive way guilty and give you the eternal inheritance? Another lesson in this familiar text from Matthew's gospel is that we need to be careful how we treat people, particularly those in need, the least of these. Be careful in your dealings with others, for they may be Jesus veiled. I know this sounds far-fetched. However, don't we serve an omnipresent God? We can't fathom the depths of the activities of God in this world. Therefore, our piety cannot stand alone. Our piety must be tested by how we treat others. In this passage, I love also how Jesus takes it personal. And why does he take it personal? I believe Jesus told this parable specifically for the reason that he wanted to convey to his followers that he experienced these difficulties in the scripture. He knows the depth of what it means to be hungry. He said on the cross, I thirst. He was a foreigner, rejected. He was stripped, naked. He was taken prisoner, put away. Therefore, he wants his followers to represent him first and foremost by their care and love for the least of these, my brethren. And that's why he says, do it unto me. Dr. Kenneth Carter is a pastor in a parish in the Pacific Northwest. And one of his uh, parishioners, a member of the congregation, Uh, is involved in the local homeless ministry. He says that his motivation for helping the homeless comes from his relationship with his brother. His brother, who lives in the Pacific Northwest, suffers from psychological illness that causes him to have paranoid delusions. These delusions have caused him to become one of the homeless. And he travels from one homeless shelter to the other. His brother explains that when he serves the homeless men in that ministry, he imagines that one of them is his brother and he serves from that. That's beautiful. That's how we need to view those in need as our brother and sister in Christ and we serve. You see, when we draw near to God in faith, the eyes of our heart should see people differently. The Holy Spirit fills us with the divine ministry and love of God where we cannot help to see and do works of agape love, which are works done in love that expects nothing in return. And it all has everything to do with our faith in God and our love for God. And our love for those created in the image of God. 
Saints of God care about other people. They love them. They provide for them. And this is not done out of fear of divine judgment. Rather, it's because of the Spirit of Jesus lives in our hearts. We see through His eyes, and we can't help being His hands and feet serving in this world. I also believe our view of the least of these needs to broaden. We desperately, and you think about it in the way our world is right now, we need strong and loving and wise Christians to have wise diplomacy on the specific issues of our nation at hand and what we are divided on. Jesus said on the cross, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. This is a powerful lesson for us now, for I believe there's so many words of hurt and so many acts that are ministered upon people, and they know not what they do. You see, those who crucified Christ, they did not know what they did. But Jesus still laid down his life for them. There's a lot of reactionary and spiritually bankrupt actions. And they're out there. And they need Christ in their lives to fill up and replace that bankruptcy with the inheritance that is so amazing. And we represent Christ to them as sheep of his fold. And it helps lead them into wholeness and salvation. James 2, 14, 18 says, What good is it then, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Powerful reminders from James. It's very important to remember that also this is not doing works in order to earn righteousness or our ticket to heaven. Remember, faith in God automatically defaults to works, and that's what James is getting at. It is the love of God that infuses our lives so that we can't help but to do loving works and care for the needs of the least of these. And those are the features and characteristics that distinguish the sheep from the goat. It's having a profound love of God and the disposition of the loving and merciful heart towards others. It's helping others in need because God loves them. It's caring for people's material and physical needs, and it's not an option for the Christ follower. The outlook also on one's possessions reveals the character of one's heart. And remember, by serving others, we serve our Savior. You know, I think it's easy to insulate ourselves from those in need. It causes us to grow callous to need. Even more deadly, we begin to imagine that we somehow deserve our fortunes. And that in itself, I think, makes the heart grow selfish, cold, and hard. Therefore, we need to make sure that we repent from selfish tendencies. 
when we forget our purpose for being here, we can become miserably self-indulgent and self-focused. Besides, if we don't ever spend our time serving those in need, we probably never will happen upon Christ veiled. Coming back to God through true repentance allows the work of the Holy Spirit to work in us and increase our capacity to love and serve. In Peter's second letter, chapter 3, I'd like for you, just when you go back home or sometimes this week, read that entire chapter. It's about the day of the Lord that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 25 in the scriptures we just read. He says that God is patient and does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Therefore, Peter states in verse 14, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, and he's talking about that day, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And so how does one become spotless, blameless, and at peace with him? Through the vehicle of repentance. And repentance is not a negative word. It's an incredible word because it makes us come back to God and God's rhythms for our lives. You see, in repentance, we review our action. We should feel contrition or regret for past wrongs, which is accompanied by a commitment to action. To show and prove change for the better. Turning away from our self-serving activities and turning back to God. Turn in walking His ways and showing fruits of repentance. Many years ago, there was a man who moved into a small town. His little house was near the railroad tracks. Every morning he noticed this elderly lady walking along the tracks and picking up something and putting it into her bag. The man got curious. He went to the grocery store nearby and he asked the owner of that grocery store about that lady. Oh, that's Widow Jacobs, the grocer said. Every day she walks half, halfway across town to pick up coal spilled on the tracks when the early morning train runs through town. But I heard there hasn't been a steam locomotive using coal on these tracks for years, replied the new resident. That's right, the store owner said. When the steam train stopped running, old Mr. Simpson, who used to be a miser, he became a Christian a few years back. He runs the hardware store over there across the tracks. He became so concerned about Widow Jacobs that she would no longer have coal to heat or cook with. He knew the widow was too proud to take charity, so he decided to get up early every morning and take a bag of coal and drop it along the tracks. Widow Jacob still thinks the steam train runs by here every morning, and I think Mr. Simpson has been doing that for five years now. And it was about five years that he became a Christian. You know, a few lumps of coal secretly dropped along a railroad track each day. You might not think it's much to do, but that is Christian kindness at work. I love that story. One of the purposes God transforms the heart is to make life better for someone else. And repentance is one of the doorways. And intentionality is so important. We do it not for recognition, but we do it for God. I think it's cool. 
also knowing that Jesus is potentially a veiled beggar. It's a lesson for us to keep that charity veiled as well, if possible. You know, Christ Jesus may not be calling us to devote our lives in full-time service to to serve the hungry, thirsty stranger and those in need of of clothes or sick or those in prison. And some are called to those purposes or start maybe a ginormous mission. I believe it begins with one person. What if every Christian showed loving action toward one? That's what this text is saying to us, isn't it? I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. It doesn't say, go solve the problem of world hunger. It doesn't say, you need to provide clean drinking water for the entire world, nations. You know, if God is calling you in that direction, go for it. I pray for you and bless you to do that. But Christ isn't calling most of us to change the direction of world affairs. But he's calling us to do something for somebody in our reality and around our household and community. One person. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. I needed clothes. You clothed me. Sometimes our action to one person can be very, very small. Yet it can make a huge difference. I've heard... I've heard this a few times in my life and in, in service as a pastor where someone told someone else that they welcomed them and said some kind words to them. And in those sentences, it kept them from taking their own life. The standard here is, my friends, is doing it or refusing to do it. We don't have very many excuses. Here at Anderson Hills, we can place our service in alignment with the opportunities that this church provides. Anita said something about taking a a Christmas outreach tag and giving gifts uh, to the needy and clothing. Donating to the wash ministry and giving fresh water to the thirsty. Right now, many in nursing homes and assisted living centers, they feel like a prisoner. Phone calls cards, prayers. I think they count right now as visits. I know one of our members took a stack of quilts to the Glen Assisted Living Center where we do one of our fresh expressions. Well, pre-COVID we did. And these quotes are, our quilts are handmade by our quilters. They had a message of love, a tag, a safety pin to them with a prayer and that message to give them support. And there are so many numerous life-giving ministries, inner healing prayer, Stephen ministry, Sunday school teaching, leading life groups, outreach to families in Mount Washington, pray and go in Mount Washington, community dinners, prayer partnering, greeting at all doors, Project 5000, back to school ministry and outreach, missions like ASP, Jamaica, Mexico, WizKids, Interfaith Hospitality Network. Excuse me, i got to catch my breath. I'm dizzy. I hope you didn't try to take notes and list all those. But you see the events and powerful ministries coming out of this church that represents Jesus Christ. And it makes a difference in this world and in this community. And it is powerful. And it has Matthew 25 
stamped all over it. Followers of Jesus Christ have a heart for those in need. And followers of Jesus Christ jump at those opportunities. You know what? And here's one final surprise. Sometimes I am so astonished. When I enter into people's needs and serve them, it's always a blessing to me. And it's reciprocal. And I know many of you can agree on that. I believe people on the right, the sheep... Were blessed having so much fun serving their master, they were that's why they were surprised hearing that judgment. And maybe that's one of the reasons they had no idea that they were serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. On this Christ the King Sunday, we celebrate the reign of Christ. He's the righteous judge. I'm so thankful that Jesus prepares us with readiness. I'm thankful that evil and stinginess is judged and will be separated from a holy, loving, giving God that cares for the least of these. It's not complicated, my friends. God's plan for the world and through those who are followers of Jesus Christ is loving and sharing, looking out for the weak and less fortunate. And so, I say unto you today, Examine your ways, my friends. Examine your heart. And if you find in that heart the love of God that flows easily to others, fear not, sheep. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are amazing as you teach and you prepare. And you're so, so giving in that ministry of preparation for us. God, may we have this readiness in our lives, that blesses others. And that we would snap Johnny on the spot in that readiness to serve and care for the least of these. Lord, especially this time of year and what is happening in our world and in our neighborhoods with COVID, may we pray for opportunities to minister in your name. And we know that you're going to be faithful and you will provide people for us to minister to. And we love you and we thank you that you call us to be your hands and feet. What an honor and privilege, Almighty God. In the name of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, we pray. Amen.